Shalom, and I hope all is well. My name is Yitzchak Schiffman. Thanks for tuning into this podcast, and I hope you enjoy the Torah classes in it. Now, on to the episode. Today's Daf Meseches Kedushin is Daf Chaf Dalet 24. We're beginning at the very bottom of Chaf Gimel and Beis. Going to have four sections in today's daf. First section is going to really be a conclusion of yesterday's discussion of the opinions of Rameir and the Chachamim regarding a woman's ability or an Evid's ability to acquire something outside of the domain of the master when given with specific instruction. The second section, as we go down towards the bottom of Chaftal and Aleph, is going to be a discussion of the sources that the other Rasha Evarim also would allow a slave to go free. Now turning to Chafdal Admon Beis, the third section we're going to deal with is the necessity or lack thereof of a get shikhur when one of the Rashi Evarim are damaged. And then the fourth section we're going to go through a series of scenarios that an Evid is freed with damages to those Rashi Evarim and not. As is Hashem, let's get started. Bottom of Chaf Gimel Amud Beis. Ashreinu matayv chalkeinu. We're holding the bottom of Chaf Gimel Amud Beis and we learned yesterday, quick reintroduction here, that the Machlaikas in the Mishnah whether someone can give the Evid Kanani monies in order for the Evid Kanani to utilize those monies to free himself. Ramir says you're not allowed to do that. It's ineffective. Chacham said it is effective. So he explained it has to do with a condition allowing the slave to have something that overrides the mastery of his Adon, of his master, so he can utilize that money to free himself. The Gemara gave two ways of understanding it. Um, and the second of the two explanations was Rebbe Lazar. Let's just go with this because it flows nicely. Rebbe Lazar said, the machlokis was, if somebody gives money to the Evid Kanani and says, I'm giving you this money on condition that you utilize it for your freedom. So in such a scenario, the Remer's opinion is, such a condition doesn't make a difference. Still, the money immediately transfers to the master and the Evid cannot utilize that money then to free himself. However, the Chachamim's opinion was, that essentially it's like a deposit. The Evid himself doesn't really acquire it, and therefore it's not acquired by the master either. Now we're going to show today from Abraisa that it seems to be, based on a scenario of Meister Shani, that the opinions are contradicted by their own opinions elsewhere. Now the halacha of Meister Shani is as follows. Meister Shani needs to be brought up to Yerushalayim and consumed there. But since it would be difficult to bring a large amount of produce, the Chachamim say you can exchange it. The Torah says you can exchange it. However, the halacha is, if I'm redeeming my own Meister Sheni, if I utilize my own Meister Sheni, I'm redeeming it. So then the halacha is going to be that I have to add a fifth. But if somebody else redeems my Meister Sheni, say he uses his own money, he's redeeming my Meister Sheni, he doesn't have to add a fifth to the total value. So it says the Mishnah Gemara like this, Let's bring a contradiction, as well as a stira in the position of the Rabbanah. The Brisa teaches, We're going to have to clarify this case, but let's just read simple. A woman, when she redeems Meister Sheni, she cannot redeem it without adding a fifth. When she redeems Meister Sheni onto money, she has to add a fifth onto the value of the money. Rabbi Shimon ben Elazar, Rabbi Shimon ben Meir, Rabbi Shimon ben Elazar says in the name for a Meir, Isha paid the Meister Sheni b'leichamish. No, she could redeem Meister Sheni onto money without adding that fifth. So says the Gemara, Hey Chidami, what's the scenario? Let's analyze what the machlokis, what case is this machlokis occurring in? So let's assume she's utilizing the money of her husband and the Meister of her husband that needs to be redeemed onto his money. 
The problem is Certainly then she's doing the shlichus. The she's acting as a messenger of her husband, and if that's the case, so then it's very logical that she has to add a fifth. Hanakama makes sense. Why would Remeyer say then she doesn't have to add a fifth? A shliach Certainly she'd have to add a fifth. Ve'ela it must be. Bezuze dida, that the scenario here is, she's using her own monies. Rashi throws in, it must be as nichse melug monies. I mean, there's certain properties she brings into the marriage that she retains the essence of the value of those things. The husband enjoys the fruits, the usurfructory values of them. So maybe she's using her own monies. Umaiser dida, and it's his miser, his produce that's being exchanged onto her monies. So the Gemara says, but one second, if that would be the case, we know that the Torah tells us, it says, when a man exchanges his own miser, he has to take off, he has to add an extra fifth. So, but the Torah says, Ish, when he exchanges his miser onto his money, he has to add a fifth. But his wife is not included in that. The wife is like somebody else in that regard, and then it's obvious she should not have to add a fifth. So then, Remer's opinion makes sense, but the Rabbanan's opinion doesn't. So the Gemara says, it must be, what is the case of the Brisa? Similar to the way we explained the case of the third party giving the Evid Kanani money to redeem himself. Someone else gave the Evid Kanani, the, the Isha, excuse me, in this case, money. And he said to the Isha, I'm giving you this money on condition that you redeem the Miser of your husband. Now, what would emerge then is, seemingly, the opinions would come out in the reverse of what we explained before. According to the Chachamim, it appears, why does she have to add a fifth in such a scenario? Because even though he made such a condition, it's not effective to prevent the husband from owning those monies. And therefore, immediately the husband owns them. And she's just acting as a mere shliach of her husband, so she has to add a fifth, using his money to redeem his miser. However, a mayor seems to hold that the condition would preclude the husband from acquiring those monies. Thus, she's using her money to redeem his miser, that's why she doesn't have to add a fifth. The problem is, this is the exact opposite of the way we concluded yesterday to clarify their positions in the Mishnah regarding the ability of the Eved Kanani to have monies and free himself. Rabbi, Rabbi is the first answer. He says, He's to switch around the opinions of the Brisa. That is the case of the Brisa, like we explained, but you have to switch them around so that it conforms with the way we explained the Mishnah yesterday. That the Rabbanan hold you don't add a fifth, and Rabbi Shem ben Elazar says, in the name of Remeyer, that you do have to add a fifth because the monies immediately become the husband's. Okay. Rava, my Rava says, no. Really, you don't have to switch around the opinions of the Brisa. However, the Brisa, the Machlekes in the Brisa is not contingent on that same debate that we had yesterday. It's a, it's a different scenario. Because we're talking about like this. The woman inherited Meiser Shani from her father's house. After they had been married already, certain Meiser Shanis fell to the woman after the marriage. Now the question is, how do we view the status of Meiser Shani? For a mayor, let's a mayor goes in accordance with his shita that we'll learn later in the Masechta, which is the Amar Meiser Maman Hektish, or as Rashi's Girsa, and the Girsa there, and that Dafnun Beis apparently is Meiser is Maman Gavaya. Remeyer holds Meiser is not ordinary monies, but rather it's considered something that we're allowed to consume from the Shulchan of Hashem, from the table of Hashem. Meiser Momon Hektishu. Veloi Kani Baal. So therefore he says like this, when she inherits Meiser Sheni from her father's house, that's a wholly special produce, and therefore 
she doesn't own it in order that her husband owns it because that's not something really that we have rights over in the first place. So therefore, when she utilizes her husband's monies to redeem it, it's considered her husband's monies that's using to redeem somebody else's produce. And the mayor says, you don't have to add a fifth. However, the Rabbanan's opinion is, as they'll explain there, that my Sushani produce is looked at as ordinary money. Therefore, she acquires it, and so her husband acquires it as well. And then she's just acting as a shliach of her husband, using his money to redeem his produce, is my Sushani. That's why she has to add a fifth. But says Rava, therefore, this is not contingent on the debate yesterday. And we've clarified the steer. Let's move on to the second section now. Now we know that the Torah tells us if the master knocks out or damages to the degree that it's not functional, Rashi Evarim, the 24 limbs, really the Torah only says Shein Ba'ayin, but we're going to deduce now even the other limbs, the Evid would go free. So the Gemara now is going to tell us the Makar for the other ones. Tana, Brysis adds to the Mishnah. The Evid would go free regarding the removal of his tooth or his eye, or the other Rashi Evarim, which we'll discuss later what those are, that don't return when they're damaged. They can't heal. Says the Gemara, Bish, Lama Shein Ba'ayin Ksivi. So I understand Shein Ba'ayin. Those are written before in the Psukim. It says clearly, if he knocks out his tooth or his eye, the Evid would go free. Ela Rashi Evarim But how do we know regarding the, the other limbs that the Evid Kanani would also go free? So the Gemara answers. The first shot the Gemara just says, simple memotzinu. Don't be the shein ba'ayin. It's a simple comparison through memotzinu. Ma shein ba'ayin momishavigoli ve'enen chayzrin. Just as the eye and the tooth, when they're knocked out, those are damages that are in a revealed place, meaning those are obvious damages, but they're not going to recover if those things are damaged. Afkol momishavigoli ve'enen chayzrin. So too, if it's any sort of revealed. Uh, limb, for example, the tip of the finger, and it's not going to recover, it doesn't heal, it doesn't grow back, that would also be included based on the Mamatsinu and the Evid would go free. Asks the Gemara, but if you're simply learning from a Mamatsinu, then we should apply the principle, which is that where the Torah writes the same halacha twice, it actually acts as a limitation only in those areas, and you can't apply it elsewhere. Because if the Torah only wrote it in those places, so if it really only meant, if it meant to apply elsewhere, it would have written in one place. The fact that it writes it in two creates a limitation. So how do you know to apply it elsewhere? So the Gemara says, Tzricha, no, because it had to write it in those two places, but not to exclude the other Rashi Evarim. Because of Rachman Hashem, because if it had only written tooth, turning to even the milk tooth, which means the baby teeth, you'd think that even if the master knocks out his baby tooth, the Evid would go free. Because of Rachman Ayin, that's why that's right. Ayin teaching us that it's only if it's a permanent limb that'll be with him throughout his life, then the Evid will go free, as opposed to a baby tooth. Because Rachman Ayin, if it only wrote Ayin, Ava Amina, Ma'in Shinivra Imai, just as an eye was created along, you're born with an eye, Afkal Shinivra Imai, so any limb that is created with him, Avil Shein Lai, but teeth, you're not born with teeth. Some kids are, but in general, kids are not born with teeth. So maybe teeth shouldn't be a limb that would allow the Evid to go free. Tzricha, therefore those actually both need to be written, but you could still derive through Amamatzinu the other Rashi Asks the Gemara of Ema, but maybe once you're saying it's just derived from a Memetzinu, we can apply the concept of Klalu Prat to these two, and what's going to now be created is an exclusion. The beginning of the Pasuk that says when he knocks out or he damages, Klal, that should act as a general term. Shein Ba'ayin, then it says tooth and eye after Prat, those are detail. 
And we know that the rule is that when there's a klal, a general rule, and then a particular detail listed after, it only includes the detail. And now it only include tooth and eye, but it wouldn't include the other limbs. So the Gemara answers, When the Torah says after, for freedom, he goes out, he's sent, and Yishalchenu, it didn't have to say Yishalchenu, Rashi learns, it could have just said, or the word Yishalchenu includes other ways of freedom, i.e. other Rashi Evarim. And therefore, this allows us to create a Klalu Prada Klal, just as just as the principle of the klal pradu klal of the prad over here, lachavshi yishalchenu klal pradu klal iat is an elokina prad ma prad mifurish mum shevegolev enam chayzrin. Just as the prat, the two details that are listed in the pasuk of shein ba'ayin, they are a uh, outright blemish mum shevegolev, a revealed blemish. The enan chayzrin, they also don't grow back if they're damaged. Afkol mum shevegolev enan chayzrin would include also other outright revealed damages that would not return if he knocks those things out. For example, the tips of the fingers, the Evid Kanani would also go free, says the Gemara. But if you're learning from the Klal Prat Klal, you have to only include things that are like the Prat in nature. If so, so there's another detail in character that would exclude a case that we know you do go free, actually. So you'd say like this. Just as the details, Shein Va'ayin, are things that are, again, Arbegali, okay, they're revealed. Ubatol Mimlachto, this is what we're throwing in now. But also, it makes those things unusable anymore. It, its work, what it was able to be used for prior, is no longer functional. You can't chew, you can't see, for example. And they don't grow back. So you'll have to only include things also that fit that third characteristic that it disqualifies it from its original usage. But we know that that's not true. Because we learned in Ebraisa that says, If the master pulls the beard of the Evid Kanani, causing a bone under the skin of that beard to be dislocated. Now Rashi explains this is a scenario where that bone is eventually going to dry up and fall off. So it's it's this is considered something that's mumshebegali lechayra. Um, it's not chayzer, excuse me. It's not going to recover. And despite the fact that it's not going to recover, it's not bitvatal melachto because Rashi understands this is something that wasn't functional for something in the first place. So. It is considered galoi. It is considered not chayzer, but it's not considered batalme melachto because it doesn't, this, this process of damage does not disqualify it from its original use because originally it wasn't going to be used for anything, anyways, apparently, learns Rashi. And yet the halacha is, the evid would go free. So it says the Gemara, what do you see? L'chair, you see that it can't just be learned from a klal pradu klal because if it would be, it would include that. Part of the nature which of the shein ba'ayin which we bottle melachta, and yet we see that that's not true. The ev would go free in this scenario, even though it doesn't include that detail of character of bottle melachta. So the Gemara answers lachafshi yishalchenu ribuyahu. Okay, we have to change the drasha. It's not a klal pradu klal. Rather, lachafshi yishalchenu acts as a riboy, and it's a riboy miut riboy. A riboy miut riboy, as we mentioned a few times, acts as a much more inclusive type of drasha than a klal pradu klal. Therefore, it would even include damages that are not batal mimelachto. For example, pulling the beard, as we just explained, that the eva would go free.
Says the Gemara, but once you're saying it's so inclusive, if it's really so inclusive, should be even if he damages the Evid, he smacks the Evid on his hand, and it causes the hand to wither, and it would eventually recover, should also go free. Why isn't that included? We learned in Ebrisa, if he strikes the Evid on his hand and it causes the hand to wither, but it will heal. How do you know to exclude that case? Yet the Brisa says the Evid does doesn't go free. Why, why is it not included if it's a riba miut riboy? So the Gemara answers because we have a principle riba miut riboy. The miut, although the riboys include everything, the, the miut excludes one thing. In Cain, Shein Maya and therefore what is Shein Ba'ayan excluding? Something that is Saifalachs or like this example that it will heal. Those are excluded from the miut. Okay, let's move on now to the third section regarding a get or following a damage to, sh- to one of the Rosh Hashanah. Tanarabanan says the Bryce Bikulam regarding all of these damages. To any of the Rashi Varm. Evid Yoitzah Bahem Lacheros, the Evid would go free, but now we have a big debate. But Sarah Ket Shechor Divrev Shim. Shim says, nonetheless, even though he's free regarding the monetary elements that the master owned in him, regarding the Isser, the ev, the master still has to give him the prohibitory law, he still has to give the Evid a get Shechor. Remeir Aymer Enetzarach. Remeir says he does not need to get Shechor. He's free automatically. Rabbi Lezer Aymer Tzarech. Rabbi Tarfon Aymer Enetzarach. Rabbi Akiva Aymer Tzarech. Okay, so we have a lot of different shitas both ways. Hamachrim lefnei chachamim Aymerim. Those that would determine the Allah in front of the sages said, Nirin divrei Rabbi Tarfon. That would appear the words of Rabbi Tarfon who says you do not need to get Shechor is b'shein va'ayin. Regarding the tooth and the eye. Sha'atayrezach talai. Because the Torah writes it in an outright way that those are things that would cause the Evid Kanani to go free. Therefore, no get Shechor is required. Bedever Rabbi Akiva, however, Rabbi Akiva says you do need to get Shechor. Bishar Evarim, that's talking about the rest of the Rashi Evarim. Hoyel Viknas Chachamimhu, because that's only a penalty of the sages, there would be a requirement of get Shechor, says the Gemara Knas. What do you mean a penalty? Knas who? Kray Kadarshin, and we learned above that it's a Reboy Miat Reboy, and a Drush is for Shurmidai Raisa. Hello, the Gemara says, Since it's only a drasha, but not outright, therefore there is a necessity for a get shechur. Now, I need to say what Taisva says here, because Taisva says, what, is that? what does that even mean? Meaning, it's a dairaisa thing, just like in Mephorish, when it says shein va'ayin. So why is there this distinction? So Taisva learns two pshatim. Like Rabbeinu Tam, he learns, really the pshat is, is that it's only rabbinic that you need such a get shechur. Such a get shechur following the uh, such a damage to any of the limbs is only midrabanan. However, since everyone knows that Shein Va'ayin is written before in the Pesukim, and everybody knows that's a way the Evid goes free, no one's going to claim this slave later. But the Drush, the Drush is the Ribuya, Mute Riboy, so that's not as well known, and therefore somebody might later chop this Evid back. So in order that that doesn't happen, the Chachamim were misakin to get Shechor for this fellow. Now the Rival learns differently. He learns, the Pshat is, really, the Pshat is like this. Since Shein Va'ayin are written Mephorish in the Psukim, based on that, the next Pasuk says, or the rest of the Psukim say, which we'll learn later, implies he's already free without a get Shechor. So there it's obvious you don't need to get Shechor, and we won't apply Shiloh, Shiloh, Me'isha, as we're about to show, Shava teaching us from Isha that you do need to get Shechor. However, the other ones that are expounded from Madrasha, Yitura of Yishalchenu, as we explained above, there you would not necessarily exclude the drush of Yishalchenu, Yishalchenu from Isha, and therefore we would make the Shava requiring a get Shechor in those scenarios. And that's the Rivaz Pshat. Now, what would come out from this, as we're about to show, is that there's really going to be three opinions, but let's go a little weiter before we clarify that.
Says the Gemara now, my time is Rabbi Shimon. What's the reason Rabbi Shimon says you need to get Shekhar? So he expounds the Gezer Shava from the freedom of a woman to that of an Evid Kenani. Just as an Isha requires Shtar, Af Evid Nami, also an Evid, even though there's a damage to the limbs, as the Pasuk says he goes free, Nami Bishtar nonetheless it still requires to get Shekhar. For a mayor, but Reb Meir says back to Rabbi Shimon, you don't need to get Shechor. Why? Because he cuts of Chavshi Yitlibesayf. It would have only said Yeshalchenu Chavshi. So he sent, and then afterwards says he's free. Kedika Amrit. So then I'd say like this: How is he sent Chavshi? Meaning it has to be that there's a get shechor involved. Yishalchenu means through the get shechor, then he goes free. But hashta the kasev lachavshi yishalchenu. Now that it says first lachavshi, that means he's already free. And then yishalchenu afterwards, as Rashi says, teaches us that he also goes free with the Rashi Evarim. So havalechavshi meikara, it teaches us that he goes free originally totally, and yishalchenu after only includes that the other Rashi Evarim also means for him to go free. Now what would emerge, the way we understood Taisus for sure in the Riva, is there's actually three opinions here. The, as the Gemara just explained, if you learn the Gzeres Shava from Isha, so if you learn it straight across the board, in the last two opinions we just quoted, in terms of understanding the Tanayim, so then in every scenario, whether it's Shein Va'ayin or other Rashi Evarim, there is a requirement for, Rashi, for, for a get after the Rashi Evarim are, are destroyed. If you don't learn the Gzeres Shava, like Rameir says, because he excludes it essentially, Rameir says, it says, Chavshi Yishalchenu, since it says lachavshi yishalchenu, so it teaches us you don't need a you don't need a get shikhar in all scenarios, not only by shein ba'ayin, but you also don't need it by the other rashi varim. But the way Riva explains the above debate that we explained, l'chayru would come out actually according to a third opinion that there's a distinction. Shein va'ayin, that's written meforish in the psukim, we don't apply the gzeres shava, and then it would emerge that you don't need to get shikhar for those, but the other evarim, which are only derived from the yitura delashon, the extra word of yeshalchenu, perhaps you do apply the gzeres shava, and you would require a get shikhar, and there will be a distinction between shein va'ayin and the other rashi evarim. All right, let's move on now to the fourth and final section of the day. We're going to discuss certain types of damages or ways of damaging that would be freed or not free. Tanur Rabbanit says the Braisi, the master strikes the Evid on his eye and causes it to be blinded, or on his ear. But there's a physical damage and it causes him to be deafened. The Evid would go free. However, if the master strikes the wall opposite the eye of the Evid, causing a loud noise, and that trauma blinds the Evid, or or he strikes the wall next to the Evid, and the loud noise causes the Evid to be become deaf, then the Evid does not go free. means the noise damage is not significant, causing the Evid to go free. Amr of Shemin said to Ravashi, this would imply that noise damage is not significant. The problem is, but we learned in Hebrides, that if a chicken put its head into the into the airspace of a glass vessel, and he made a loud noise, made a loud noise and caused the glass to, to break. Now this, as Rashi understands, is like Sumchas, who holds that this is a damage of Tzreiris, a non-ordinary damage. So you have to pay Nezek Shalim. But you're responsible because of noise damage. And similarly, if you have a horse that brays, or nays and a, uh, a donkey that brays, a shavro kalim besay chabayis, and they broke vessels inside of the house because of their noise. Mishalmin chatzinezim. This is like the rabban who holds sreiros and unordinary damage only pays chatzinezik, but you have to pay because the noise damage is significant. So asks the Gemara, l'chayr you see, 
that uh, noise damage of Shemin says to Ravashi. Noise damage is significant. So why doesn't the Eva get freed when the trauma caused by noise damage causes his eye or ear to be blinded or deafened? So Amarlei, Ravashi responded to Rav Shemen, Shani Adam the Kivan the Bardasu, a person is different since he has das, he has intellect. It's a very interesting sephara. He caused himself to be scared, resulting in damage. Meaning, when that noise occurred opposite his eye or opposite his ear, what's really going on is he has the opportunity to decide, I don't want to be damaged by this or prevent himself from being damaged. Mimela, if he gets damaged by it, He's, to some degree, acquiescing to that, therefore he's not going to go free. Whereas a chicken makes a noise and causes the glass to break, certainly that's considered noise damage that you'll be responsible for. Kiritanya, as the Brisa highlights this, Amavis es chavero, if somebody causes his friend to be scared, adam, and damages him, adam, he's potter, uh, based on uh, earthly courts, but he's chayev in shamayim because he did something that caused someone else to be damaged. Ketzah, the Bryce explains, what's the scenario? If someone made a big, big, blew a big noise into someone's ear and causing him to be deaf, potter is exempt, meaning bidine adam. However, if he grabs the fellow and then he makes that loud noise in his ear, the harsha causing him to be deafened, then he is responsible. Why? Because there was a physical pa'ula, there was a physical action involved, but if there was no physical action involved, he's exempt. Similarly, the Evid wouldn't go free again because it's his own das to some degree that causes himself to be damaged. Tan Rabbanon continues the Gemara. What if the master strikes the eye of the Evid, causing it to become weakened? So beforehand it was functional, fully functional, and now it becomes dimmed. Weakened eye. Or he struck him on his tooth, causing the tooth to be weakened. He can't chew as well. If he's still able to use it in its functional way, albeit somewhat weakened, that's not considered as the Bryce is going to learn a destruction and therefore the Evid doesn't go free The but if he cannot use it in the functional way anymore he will go free now we have another Brysa that seems to highlight Allah in a similar way if the Evid already had a weakened eye and the master caused it to be blinded entirely or if the tooth was already very weak and the master knocked it out entirely if he was able to use it prior to the damage albeit in some weakened way so the damage causing it to be totally removed now will cause the evid to go free the imla but if he wasn't able to use it prior to the damage the evid doesn't go free and the gemara says we need both of the raisais to highlight this is halachas if we only taught the first of the two, so you'd say the reason he goes free in the first case is because it was totally healthy prior to the damage. And now if it's not usable, it's considered a weakened eyesight. So that's why he would go free in that scenario. But in the second, originally it was a weakened but functional eyesight. So maybe when he knocks it out or causes it to be totally non-usable, maybe he shouldn't go free because originally it was already, albeit usable, but dysfunctional so, or not or weakened. So the Gemara says, Kamash Malan, no, that's the Chiddush of the second Brisa, that even though it was weak in the beginning, since it was functional, and now it's not, he goes free. V'yash minan ha'afilin of the second Brisa, mishum desamil agamri, you'd say, the reason he goes free is because in the second Brisa, he caused it to be totally blinded, aval hasa, but in the first Brisa, de lo samil agamri, he didn't cause it to be completely blinded, so you might say, since it's not completely blinded, although it's not functional anymore, you can still see to some degree, albeit not functional, so you'd say maybe he shouldn't go free. 
Kamash Malan Tzricha, that's why you need the first b'risa to teach me, even if it is usable to some degree in the first b'risa, but it's not functional use anymore, it's not capable use, the Evid Kenani would still go free with such a damage. Tzricha, so we need both. Okay, Tanur Abanan, says the b'risa, if the master was a doctor, and the Evid said to the master, to put eye drops in his eye, so it was for fua purposes. This someone, and instead it ended up blinding the Evid, or to dig around his tooth, like a root canal, and it caused the tooth to fall out, again, not intentional. Tanakama says he can laugh at the master and go free, because that's considered v'shicha, so that's considered a destruction, albeit that the master was trying to do it in a way of refua, Evid still goes free. Rishimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimim
Let's finish up. What happens if the Evid Kanani had an extra finger? Some people are born with six fingers and the master removed it. Evid that is considered Rashi Evarm, the Evid would go free. But it has to be that it was counted in the row of the fingers, meaning that in the row of the fingers, the normal way that they're set up, there was a sixth finger. But if it was coming out from a different place, that would not be considered a limb that would cause the Evid Kanani to be able to go free if the master removed. We're stopping here at the top of Chaf Hey Amad Aleph. Be'ez Hashem will pick up tomorrow with Chaf Hey. Everybody have a wonderful day.